You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Live Different Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today we're here with Alan Gannett, the author of the new book, The Creative Curve, How to Develop the Right Idea at the Right Time. He is a big data entrepreneur and CEO of the company TrackMaven. They have over $20 million in funding, some pretty amazing clients, including Microsoft, Marriott, Saks Fifth Avenue, Home Depot. He's been on all sorts of lists, including the Inc. 30 Under 30 list. He's a writer for Fast Company, and I'm most excited about trying to learn, hear from Alan, how to how we can all be more creative and what really uh, can help you guys, the listeners, become inspired uh, to 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 just get the the leg up uh, on the competition, if you will, when it comes to creativity. I think this guy is going to dispel a lot of myths here. So without further ado, Alan, welcome. Thanks for having me, man. This is going to be fun. I'm uh, I'm excited about it. I was checking out some of your videos on Facebook Watch, which I was uh, pretty impressed that you were there on that platform. And uh, you know, at, at the time that we're talking, the book is just about to come out, so I haven't had chance to uh, pick up myself a copy. But it looks like you've interviewed billionaires, Mitchell and. Chefs, uh, the chief content officer of Netflix, co-founder of Reddit, Alexa Sohanian. So, I, I'm curious, what uh, what have you learned? So it's so it's so interesting because I think you know we have in our culture this notion of creativity as this mystical, magical thing that strikes certain people, and for everyone else, they have no chance. And it's just so not true. I mean, that's one of the things you know. I, I entered this sort of research project. You know, coming from um, you know this thing I found when I was doing my company, which is that I would talk to these people who obviously had all this creative potential, and they would tell me they're not creative enough, and I got sort of frustrated at people limiting themselves. And so the whole idea for the project was to to build a definitive book that debunks the idea that creativity is this organic divine thing that's a have or have not situation, and instead lay out the argument that creativity is actually something you can get better at. And what I thought was so interesting was I interviewed all of the leading academics who study creativity across psychology, neuroscience, anthropology, sociology, biology, and I interviewed 25 of these living creative geniuses, right? So billionaires like David Rubenstein, you mentioned Alexis Ohanian from Reddit, um, Pasek and Paul, the songwriting duo behind, Dear Evan Hansen, La La Land, and The Greatest Showman. And what was so interesting when I did these interviews was that it's actually a lot of consensus. There's actually among the academics who study this, there's consensus that creativity can be developed. And among the practitioners, there's consensus that this isn't just blind luck, right? They know there's more stuff at work. And I thought that disconnect between the aspiring creatives who view this as this mystical thing and the actual practitioners, the people who study it, it was just so wide and so vast that I was I was kind of shocked, to be honest. No, that that's really interesting, uh, Alan. And I want to ask you questions, of course, about how you focus and divide your time and balance. Uh, but what did you find that that these people have? What what's the deal? How do these people increase their levels of creativity? So, 
I mean, it's a it's a huge question, right? And so it's a whole book length answer. And so, I mean, I can give you a couple things I think are, were, at least to me, very striking. So one of the things that's so interesting is that we have this notion of creativity as the the ability to create things that are new, things that are novel. But actually, what scientists have found is that human preference is actually not focused on things that are novel, but it's focused on things that are a blend of familiar and novel. It actually turns out we don't like things that are radically new. We like things that are familiar with a twist of novelty. So, for example, um, you, know, you can think about uh, the first Star Wars was a Western in space, right? Um, the, right now, the trend with sushi burritos that's popping up everywhere, right? Sushi, but a burrito. It's familiar, but it's novel. With music, you think about the use of sampling. And so the reason this is is really interesting, and it goes back to evolutionary biology. So basically, as humans, we have these two really, really deep urges. One of these urges, one of these urges is to crave things that are familiar. And the reason why is that we like the safety that comes along with familiarity, right? If you were a prehistoric cave dweller, you saw two caves and one cave you've never seen before and the other cave you've slept in multiple times, well, you're probably gonna be a little bit afraid of the cave you've never been before and you'll feel very safe in the familiar cave. It's a way that we can balance risk. But there's an entirely other side of this too. It actually turns out that we also seek out novelty. And the reason why is that we like the potential rewards that we can get from novelty. We like if we're a forager, we like that we're in a field and we see a small berry we've never seen before and we go, ah, that might be a new potential source of food. But, there's a but here, these two things are direct opposites. How does that make sense? Well, it turns out that our brain has this contradiction because it allows us to balance risk and reward. We want things, we're interested in things that are the right level familiar and novel. They're novel enough to intrigue us and they're familiar enough to feel safe. And so you see this when it comes to creativity where the ideas that actually resonate the most are not the newest ideas, not the most unique ideas, but the ideas that have one foot in the familiar and one foot in the novel. Okay, uh, excellent. And, and so then, uh, with that being said, what are some of the things that these people are doing, or, or maybe you personally, that are helping them become more creative? For example, so, uh, yeah, go ahead. So one example I think is really interesting is, um, is that you know you think about all these creatives and you think about them as doers, right? There's that social media meme like 90% of people consume, 9% engage, 1% create, hashtag hustle. And um, it's sort of it's a very silly uh, meme, but it's also uh, it's also just not true. It actually turns out that when I interview these people, the the creators that are very active, that are very successful, they're also some of the biggest consumers of culture. And the reason why is that if you want to be the expert in a field in a lane, you have to know what's familiar. And the way to do that is consumption. Since familiarity is an important part of creativity, consumption goes hand in hand. And it's not the sort of wide ADD type of consumption that you might think of on social media. No, these great creatives, they go very deep and narrow. Ted Sarandos, the chief content officer of Netflix, when he was 18, he was a community college student who got a job at a video rental store and decided to watch every single video in the store. And what he says to me when I interviewed him 
is that that experience, that for him was a film school and MBA all wrapped up into one, right? Because that's what gave him the familiarity, the taste, the ability to understand what an audience would like and what they would find that blend of familiar and novel. Okay, that makes perfect sense because uh, if if I take myself for an example, all right, I started a travel company six years ago because I was an avid traveler or I needed to find people to travel with. So we started a group travel company. And for the last six years, I've pretty much spent that abroad in all of these little off the beaten path places and consuming travel to the to the max uh, as much as I can. So I know these products inside and out. So if somebody out there there is listening and they're trying to find whatever their thing is uh, what would you tell them to go ahead and get started on if they're looking for their big creative idea so I think obviously you have to pick what is that you know what is that niche you want to go after if you have an inclination that's great if you not if you don't have an inclination that's I think what you should dabble and try different things and get a sense I mean one problem that people have when they're trying to learn new things as an adult is that every single skill or talent or quote unquote passion you want to go after, every single one of them is going to be hard in the beginning. There's no, you know, this idea that there's some stuff you just do and you're natural at. Really what happens is a lot of people try things as kids and their parents or a friend or someone sort of forces them and pushes them through the hard part. And so by the time they're self-aware enough to realize it's easy, it's good, it's fun. And you know, so much of our experience um, in consumer products is all wired to get around this problem. You know, if you play a video game, it's very easy to level up in the beginning. When you're trying to learn a new skill, it's very hard to level up in the beginning, right? So you need to figure out what is the thing you want to level up on, and then you need to build the structures around yourself to ensure you get through the hard part. And I think the easiest way to do this is through building what I call a creative community around you, building other people around you who have similar interests, similar passions, who on one side are gonna motivate you with pep talks, hold you accountable, but then also give you that friendly competition. I actually think friendly competition is such a valuable tool for motivation. It's one of the things I thought was so interesting when I interviewed these famous creatives, like they all talk about how you know, their friends aren't necessarily their former college buddies or high school buddies. Typically their friends are other creators. And one of the things they like about that is they like the friendly challenge of it, right? Oh, well, Joan, you know, did that on the billboard charts. I wanna do that on the billboard charts. You know, Joe won a Tony Award. I want to win a Tony Award. And it's not malicious. It's just human nature. We like this idea of sort of comparing ourselves and getting better and improving. Uh, that's really interesting. I was—I li- don't know if you're a basketball fan, Alan, but I was listening to a podcast this morning with uh, with Kevin Durant. And they were asking him, Bill Simmons was asking him, why do you hang out with LeBron James? Why don't you go to why don't you go to bed every night and say, I hate LeBron James. I can't wait to give him a cheap shot during the game. And, you know, this is what we want to see out of our rivals as as fans. We don't want to hear that they're hanging out because that's not it. That's not as fun. You know, that's our our sports fan ideal, I I guess, Uh, or at least that's how the question was phrased. But it makes it makes perfect sense because those two guys are going to motivate each other as friends, but they want to one up each other. Wouldn't, wouldn't you think? A hundred, a hundred percent. And that's one of the things is that you know that idea of the friendly challenge is something I think people are scared of. But these great creatives embrace it, and they all know they all know that, right? They're not ashamed of it. They talk about it. They're like, hey, you did that. I want to do that. Um, and it's kind of fun. It's kind of cool. And I see this now. 
you know, being part of some author communities. And there's this friendly competition of like, wow, like, you know, John got on the New York Times bestseller list. Like, damn, I want to do that. I want to prove I can do that. Right. And that's that's a powerful motivator. And I think there's we have this idea that competition has to be a zero sum equation. But in creative fields, it's really not true. That's interesting, Alan. And uh, w- this is one topic that comes up all the time on the Live Different podcast. In fact, uh, as I told you, uh, my business under 30 experiences is a community. It brings people together uh, to travel. And so this is something we've touched on a lot. So I don't want to oh, I don't want to just over harp on this and uh, say, tell everybody to go to meetup.com and find a meetup and try to meet other like minded people because they know that by now. But I'm curious for someone like yourself, uh, who is a CEO of a successful company, you know, or or, or you have this uh, incredible interest in being creative who are your friends and how did how did you meet them yeah so for me it's really interesting I have um, you know I think I have my friend group is really all over the place like it's intergenerational um, you know I have one of my dear dear friends is 66 I also have friends who are 21 right there's no there's a very very diverse group from that perspective the commonality is that they're all doers they're all doing stuff um, there's a lot of entrepreneurs in the tech ecosystem like me. There's a lot of people who are writers. There's, But there's also people who are just creative in their own fields and in their own ways. I think they all have sort of an entrepreneurial spirit. And I find that surrounding myself with that has been really helpful. And I think at a certain point, um, I don't know, this sounds a little obnoxious. I don't, I don't mean it to. But I think at a certain point, you sort of get fed up with people who don't get it who don't get that you are your master of your own destiny, you can you know, take your life into your hands, you can make decisions. And you know, there's obviously all sorts of issues and circumstances that come up with people, but there's, I see so many people who are able-bodied, who have savings, who have the ability to do more with their lives, but they don't and they complain about it. And I think you also sort of get sick of that at a certain point. And so I really like to surround myself with people who have a positive sort of self-reliant energy. Um, because I think that that is um, it's a very authentic way to live. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying there, especially as you get a little bit older and you get invited to reunions or back to events in your hometown or, or uh, at your university. And you, I don't know, sometimes I think, oh, man, uh, what do I have in common with these people anymore? And, and no offense to them whatsoever, but my friends are a whole lot different now and sometimes i feel guilty about that but i've had to had to let that go uh, i i think that's that's very very important and uh alan i wanted to to ask you about this type of creativity because you have a day job you have a you're leading a group of of people and uh do you get paid just to come up with new ideas here and there and then have a team of people to to execute them? Or do you have a day to day that you need to stay focused on and then you have to uh, maybe moonlight these creative ideas or you said, all right, I can't write this book between nine to five. I need to write this after hours on my own creative energy. And this is my creative outlet. So I'm curious how that works for you. Yeah, it's such. It's actually such a good question. Yeah, I mean, the book is super interesting. Basically, I wrote it on Sunday mornings for two years. Like that was my sort of writing block, and I, you know, sort of was a very cathartic, 
Um, I was dealing with a lot of personal life issues at the time. So it was also sort of an escape hatch, um, which was nice. And then you know, generally at work, I mean, it's a blend, right? So, you know, when you run a company, you have a lot of operational things that are going on. You have customer meetings, prospect meetings. Um, you know, I, the biggest sort of thing I do in a day is typically talk on the phone or in a meeting with people. Um, and so, you know, those creative things though, house have to happen, right? I have to think about new products. I have to think about new go-to-market approaches. And so to do that, typically what I do is I carve out time, right? So I try and not have meetings on Tuesdays. And that's the time where if there's big projects I'm trying to tackle, I'm leaning into that. I'm getting that done. I'm making that happen. So I think you need to have that time carved out for sort of like big think things. Otherwise, the sort of the details of life when you're running a company can very easily take over. Okay, cool. Uh, and, and I'm curious, do you, do you plan any offsites or retreats for yourself or uh, like Bill Gates would famously yeah, the take, cabins. yeah, just go up into a cabin by himself for a week and he would come back entirely with an entirely new business plan for Microsoft or uh, for me personally, when I'm on an airplane, I don't have a phone call scheduled or I don't have actual work that I have to do on my travel days and that's my creative time uh, or I'll plan you like you said uh, you plan your Sunday mornings I try to plan a couple hours every morning for creative pursuits uh, what what patterns have you seen in these successful people and what works for you so um you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is the science behind aha moments and these flashes of genius. And we can talk more about them if you're interested. But, you know, the, one of the key takeaways is that aha moments are a pretty normal biological phenomenon. They just have a surprising result. And what happens is your right hemisphere is where they happen. And basically, you have this two type of information processing that's going on. So your right hemisphere is where you do this more divergent thinking, you know, bringing disparate ideas together. This is very subconscious. It's very sort of quiet. Um, it's only once it comes up with an answer that it sort of pops a little bit into consciousness versus your left hemisphere is very step-by-step, -step, very direct forms of processing, right? Think about it as like your loud lab partner in college. Like we're gonna do this and then this and then this. Whereas your right hemisphere is like, we're gonna do this and this and this. Hey, I got an answer. And if your loud lab partner is too loud, you can't hear it. And so this is why people experience so many aha moments like in the shower or on the commute or in the gym. It's not that your commute is inspirational or that you know seeing yourself naked gives you great ideas. It's that at those moments, your left hemisphere is basically shut up, right? And those ideas that have been percolating in your right hemisphere, they can actually come to the forefront of your consciousness and you can actually experience them. And so, and so that's such an critical part of um, creativity is having those moments carved out where you can actually sort of quote unquote hear your right hemisphere, whether that's a walk, whether that's a physical fitness routine. And so yeah, you see with these great creatives over and over again that they take the time to be quiet. They take the time to be silent. And it can come in any form. You know, some of these people meditate, some go on long runs, but you need to have that time where you can zone out and hear what your brain has been percolating on. 
No, that that those sound like uh, really solid examples. Alan, I know that you were on Impact Theory with Tom uh, with Tom Bilyeu, and he came on the Live Denver podcast, and he talked about his concept of thinkitating, and he went through his <laughs> process, that. what he would do every morning to come up with the, with new ideas. So I'm curious what that nuts and bolts of, of your personal creativity time looks like. Yeah, for me, it's all a physical fitness thing. Like I go to the gym, I run. Um, for me, those are the moments where I can sort of zone out. Um, and it also helps because it de-stresses me more generally. And so I bring my phone to the gym and you know, in between sets, if I have an idea, I'm like constantly scribbling down notes. I have this app on my phone called Captio, um, which is really helpful. It's just, a, you open it up, it's immediately an uh, open text screen you hit done and it just emails it to yourself and I use my emails my sort of life inbox to do box type thing um, and so yeah that's my that's my time the shower I don't actually get that many ideas I take very quick showers um, <laughs> but you know at the gym or when I'm running that's the time where I really experience them okay cool and it's it's good to know that uh you have so I use Evernote, but whatever uh, whatever app works uh, for people out there, it's just important to find something that works. But we'll link up your Captio app in the show notes as well on uh, on iTunes. I think we'll have uh, some links up on YouTube, and then of course on Under Thirty Experiences, where people can go and actually Under Thirty Experiences our our blog, people can go and get some some show notes um, a, as well. What uh, Alan, what do you think of the idea I've heard from James Altucher where he talks about literally every morning he works out his creativity muscle and he just thinks of new ideas and he'll, he'll set a topic and he'll say okay new business ideas and he'll challenge himself to write 50 of them and there's no such thing as a bad idea and he just practices this process of brain dumping if you will uh, what do you think of practices like that I don't love it. I don't hate it. I think it's somewhat inefficient. Um, you know, I think one of the things that our brain is actually really good at is it's really good at coming up with ideas. Um, and I think a lot of times it's more about giving yourself the right raw ingredients for it to do its work, right? So I would rather have people spend more time ingesting more experiences, information, you know, in the space they want to learn. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just think it's not the most efficient personally. Okay. So, so where do you draw parallels when you're consuming information uh yeah so for this book for example you went and studied a lot of different uh i'm guessing i know you talked about newton but did you study thomas edison or albert einstein super creative people who came up with breakthroughs and had their famous kind of routines and as you ingested that information did you come up with your own ideas how did that work yeah it's um it's so interesting yeah one of the meta experiences i had was i started reading all this really wonky re academic research on creativity and so when i started working out and you know going on my runs and stuff all of a sudden the aha moments I was having was all these goofy, like really nerdy concepts and creativity research. And I was connecting these different things I was reading and seeing, cause that's what was percolating in my brain. And so I sort of, as I was writing the book, I was experiencing some of these concepts, which was really fun and exciting. And it's also really confidence building. I think when you see the process at work and you see yourself intentionally learning and getting better at something, it gives you the reassurance that you've learned how to learn. 
And that's a really valuable skill. And so I think when it comes to creativity, one of the things we underappreciate is how good it is for the soul to know that you can get better at stuff, right? It changes the world from 2D to 3D, right? I think a lot of times we go about our days and we think, okay, I'm good at this, I'm bad at that, and it is what it is. But what you realize when you look at the research is that it isn't what it is. We actually have this incredible ability to learn, this incredible ability to get better. I mean, there's all this fascinating research around neuroplasticity, which is basically your brain creates thousands of new brain cells a day. And those brain cells, literally, like repairing a muscle, they go to the part of your brain which is most active, and that's where they attach. In fact, if you don't actually do anything very challenging, they just die off. And so there's all these cool studies where, for example, they took a bunch of cab drivers and they put them in MRI machines. And what they found was that the part of their brain that was tied to visual spatial navigational skills was bigger the longer they'd been a cab driver. So their brains actually changed to get them better at these skills. And so we really underappreciate how good we are at adapting and learning and getting better at things. That, that's awesome. And uh, a lot of our listeners are familiar with neuroplasticity. We just had uh, Dr. Brant Courtright, who wrote a whole book on neurogenesis and how to regrow oh, cool. new brain cells. Yeah, really, uh, really interesting, interesting uh, topic. And, and I like how you talked about this concept of percolating. It kind of sounds like Tom Bilyeu's thinkitating, as I I believe he put it, but it's not necessarily, these are kind of these flashes of brilliance, if you will, or just little ideas that popped up in, in your head for no real specific rhyme or reason, but you did give them the space to come up and your mind wasn't focused on a certain task. You were just kind of lettering, letting it uh, wander. Is that correct? Could you, could you talk a little bit more about what it means to let your mind percolate? Yeah, really what it is, is that once you've done the first step, which is getting the raw ingredients in there, your right hemisphere is doing all this work. Like it, it's going, it's hustling. And so your job um, is to let it do its work, but then give yourself that quiet time to actually hear what it's come to, right? Again, because your left hemisphere, which is doing so much of the sort of day-to-day processing around us, is just so noisy, right? And so you need to have that time to just, just be able to hear, just be able to hear what's going on, right? So take that run, take that walk, have that moment where your left hemisphere is toned down. It's just, it's quiet. Man, have, Alan, have you been into a, a float tank or a sensory deprivation tank? No, but there's one around the corner from my office. Should I do it? Oh, you, you got to try it. It's really cool. Uh, I'm a, Personally, I'm a meditator, so I will go in there to actually meditate, but cut off from the rest of the world you i get crazy ideas in in this and i go in there with a specific intention to to meditate and let go but the things that pop up in my mind at the time i think oh my god i can't believe i remember this and it's you know you're covered in in uh in a salt bath you're taking a salt bath and just floating in the in this uh magnesium water salt water basically (laughs) and i'm like wanting to scribble down new ideas or bring my iphone in there and and i know some people will go in there and actually go with the intention of all right i want to work out this problem or i want to think about (laughs) this thing or i want to just put myself in this state where i do will just just seed an idea and let it percolate but yeah i think you would really be into it 
Yeah, I love it. I want to do it now. Yeah, You're giving you, me homework. Yeah, well, uh, where are you in, in D.C.? Yeah, I'm in D.C. There's literally one like around the corner from my office. That's uh, – yeah, I would definitely, definitely check that out. Um, okay, Alan, so for, for a little bit of career advice for people, you know, you are a, a CEO of a, a company uh, with – I can't remember. I, I looked up how many employees. It's about it, 60. Okay, 60 employees, say. So I'm sure you give career advice or try to advance people uh, in their careers as best as you can and align a company so that people can can be doing work that fulfills them. I, I'm sure that's something that's important to you. So if somebody's out there and thinking, oh, my God, my position that I'm in just has no creativity what do you tell that person? So I have two thoughts. One is that there's a lot of roles where there's creativity that's not obvious. I think, you know, if you are at Google and you're tasked with being creative, it's like, okay, everyone's tasked with being creative here. So I think actually some of the biggest opportunities are if you can apply creative skills to places where you might not think creativity is important, that's actually where some of the magic can happen career-wise. So I think that's one note. Now, on the other side though, if even if maybe it's not creative, but you want to try, but they don't let you be creative, I think that's a different problem. I think if that's the case, that's when you leave and get a new job. I think you know life is too short to be in places where you can't push, you can't try new things, um, and so you know assuming you have the ability to do that, I think you know you need to find something something else. Life is too short to waste away in a place where you can't either self develop or be creative. Okay, and, and then how about? execution right I, I consider myself an idea generator but I don't have the bandwidth the the time of the day to be able to go out and execute or the staff to be able to execute execute the ideas you know I, we we just don't have the money to pay people to to uh, do all the things that we want to do so could you walk us through a little bit more what you learned about actually uh, executing on that. I was trying to think of another word for executing, no, no, but uh, actually doing it. Yeah. So I think the big, the big thing that's important is, um, is you need to, um, you need to make it smaller, right? If you're working on a project at an organization, well, how do we shrink that project and just make it more palatable? How do we make it easier to, to get it done? How do we get less people involved? How do we get it less expensive? You wanna get a lot of progress when it comes to creativity. You wanna get things actually done. That's really, really, really important. So I think shrinking it is really important. And then I think more broadly, I think my biggest execution-related advice is like, you need to get going, you need to do it, right? I mean, it's so easy to tell ourselves that Oh, like I'll get started once I, you know, accomplish this other thing. Or we gate ourselves a lot, right? We create these sort of milestones we want to hit before we do something else. And I think so much of that is our brain's way of trying to prevent us from taking on risk. Like we're trained, like we talked about before, on biological level to avoid risk. And so you have to know when you're thinking about how you spend your time and how you spend your days that there is a biological structure going on that is literally trying to prevent you from taking risk. And to be successful in the culture we live in, you have to take on risk. So I think pushing yourself over the proverbial cliff is an important step to just, just getting started. Just get that momentum going. It's, it's much easier to fix something than to wait for the perfect time to get something done. Okay, so when you talk about creativity, 
you're not necessarily talking about generating an idea a minute. Uh, you're talking about having that aha moment, but then also going f going forward and, and, as you said, executing upon it. Uh, so when the nuts and bolts uh, get very arduous, I, I was I was dealing with this today uh, in my business. Right. There's a lot of logistics that go along with creating. Uh, cre sure, you, we can create trips and we can say, ah, this we want to go to the Galapagos. We want to go to New Zealand. We want to go to Japan. We want to go to uh, South Africa. All these these ideas are great and it sounds like a lot of fun. We'll send somebody out there, check it out. Uh, create the product, but then actually executing on all of the things, finding the right hotels and making sure the budget is is ready, uh, all the finding the right guides, all of these things. These are the things that can be very time consuming and somebody can can run out of steam or you need a good team around you. Uh, and so I find that when I have an idea, I will get lost in the logistics. I'll, I can lay out a roadmap, no problem, but I'm not the most detail oriented person because, well, not because I, I am more of an idea generator. And uh, so think, yeah, tell walk me through I that. I think, Matt, I think that's all okay. I mean, okay. this is one of the mistakes we have with creativity. We think that you know, to be creative is to be sort of omniscient and good at everything. And actually, when I interviewed these creators, and I interviewed Pasek and Paul, this songwriting duo that's sort of having a moment, it was so interesting, is they're radically different. Like, um, Justin Paul's strengths are the things that Benj Pasek is weak at. And part of why they work together is because they found other people who buttress their weaknesses. I think so often when we look for co-founders or collaborators, we're looking for people that are like us, that are similar in their worldview. But that's actually the worst type of collaborator you can have. The collaborators you wanna have are who are those people who are really good at what you suck at? Because that's what's gonna make you effective. And so in the book I call this concept a, that of a conflicting collaborator. Right? You want that conflict, you want that contradiction, because that's what's gonna make you successful. It's okay to not be good at everything, right? Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. He wasn't there designing the first computer. And so it's, it's okay to not have it all be you. Okay, interesting. Alan, could you talk a little bit more of this concept of the conflicting collaborator? Because I think it's so important that uh, people can have healthy conflicts and then who knows what creative ideas can come out of those. Yeah, so you know what, I, what you find when you look at collaborators, and everyone has collaborators, even though people you don't think have collaborators, like you, know, you look at author of a book and there's one name on the cover, but they had an agent, they had readers, they had editors, they had copy editors, proofreaders, marketers, like there's, everyone has collaborators, even if it's marketed as sort of here's the name. So, so, um, the thing, is that when you work with someone who's very similar to you, you get in violent agreement. It feels comfortable, it feels safe. But the ideas don't actually get better because your weaknesses aren't um, addressed. So when you have a collaborator that's conflicting, what you find is that you push yourself, one plus one equals three, and that is so essential to creativity. I mean, you know, you wouldn't want most authors to run their own marketing, right? Which is why authors have, you know, publishers have a marketing department. And so you need to know what you're good at, what you're bad at. You don't see movie directors, you know, also trying to be the actor. Well, sometimes these days you do, but typically not, right? And I think that entrepreneurs often get that wrong where they feel like they have to be all things to all people. And you don't need to be all things to all people. 
You need to be what you're great at. Lean into those things and let other people lean into the other things. Okay, great. And then on the the other side, how do you say no? How do you say no to good ideas? You have to start. So, you know, we talked about this before. Creativity is really about getting that audience reaction, building something that they actually like. And so once you realize the sort of social contract that's underpinning creativity, that you're creating something for people to enjoy, consume, and find value in, you have to learn to listen early and often to your audience. You have to constantly be trying to listen, see what they're saying, try and learn from them, try and experience what they're experiencing. That is so critical because if your role is to create something that they're gonna like, that they're gonna enjoy, well then talking to them about it's really important. You see this in the movie industry. You know, we think of movies as these big linear projects, but the reality is, is that movies do all sorts of testing. You know, when the movie is an early draft, they do preview screenings and the whole point is to see, you know, how's it performing? Are there certain characters people like or don't like? In fact, you know, the movie Fatal Attraction, the ending is sort of famous, you know, this sort of psycho thriller ending. And when they first did a preview screening, no one liked the original ending. So the ending you see today is a completely redone, reshot ending because they saw that the audience reaction wasn't there. And the movie went on to win all these Academy Awards and do phenomenal in the box office. And that's because they listened to their audience. So, you know, we think of creativity as this linear process that's driven by an individual, but the reality is that it's driven by a crowd and it's nothing but linear. It's very, very iterative. Wow, yeah, this is something that we talk about all the time with Under 30 Experiences because we have this alumni group of people who have traveled with us before, and so we try to create things that these people will like, and we have Facebook groups where, we'll, where we will ask them uh, questions and give them access to what new trips are going to be coming out, and we will, uh, when we have a promotion or a launch, we'll seed it to them early just to make sure all the kinks are worked out, uh, but also reward them for helping us out, and again, they get early access. Uh, did you talk about in your book how you can go about testing your ideas? Yeah, so we have I have a whole section on iterations, and you know I give the example of Ben and Jerry's, which is, um, you know, they have to every year create ten new flavors, and you might think about that as this like, oh, well, that must be a very sort of you know organic process. You have chefs and food scientists, but they literally come up with ideas, and then they send an email survey to their best customers, and they ask two basic questions: one, how likely are you to buy this flavor, and two, how unique is this flavor? Or basically, well, how familiar is it and how novel is it? And you might think, why ask the unique question? But again, it comes back to that familiarity novelty thing. If you just ask, how likely are you to buy? Well, you'd end up with all these things that are overly familiar, brownies, caramel, cookies. The entire brand would be the same three ingredients. So you need to balance uniqueness with commercial viability. And even a big brand like Ben & Jerry's, it's owned by Unilever, they're not using big data. Right? They're literally doing an email survey. And so I think we tend to overthink these things and we get so scared and we overcomplicate listening to our audience with technology and methods and all this stuff. And the reality is you just need to shut up and do it. Right? Send a survey monkey form. Like This isn't that hard to do. We just don't like actually doing it so much. What I found was so interesting when you interview these great creatives is none of this stuff is crazy. Right? None of this stuff is mind boggling. All of this stuff takes determination, takes focus, takes a willingness to make yourself uncomfortable. Sure, that that definitely uh, 
makes a lot of sense. And I always think of the case study. I, I forget one of these big coffee coffee companies, Maxwell House, uh, maybe in the the sixties. It was probably the best coffee you could drink, and they didn't know how to evolve coffee because it's the same product basically. And they said, "Well, we." We have one product, it's coffee, you know what I mean? And so they, uh, it became a race to the bottom to increase profits. And so their op- their only option that they could come up with was just reduce the quality a little bit each year and hopefully nobody would notice and it would make for better profits for the company. And it just, be- they became a big behemoth and easily disruptable. And then you get a couple hippies that, like uh, Ben and Jerry who come up with some creative ideas or, or build a brand, sure, owned by Unilever, Unilever now, but uh, with a, a company culture that comes up with new ideas for new flavors and a consumer base who actually really wants that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I agree. <laughs> I, I'm uh, I'm I'm glad to hear, uh, Alan. I wanted to uh, to talk to you a little bit more about. The concept that you brought up of novelty and uh, how our brains do seek this, although we are afraid at times. And if uh, we get back on that theme of neuroplasticity, how can people rewire their brains so they are seeking the novel and they can shut out the fear? So... You know, I think what's interesting when you talk about, you know, getting rid of fear, I think so much of our fear has to do with failure and, you know, shame. I think those are two very powerful emotions. I think shame underlies a lot of that fear of failure. We don't want to be ashamed. And I think that's where you have to go again to that point around the iterative process. I think when you start to recognize and realize that failure is just one of the steps towards getting to that right blend of familiarity and novelty right, that this is an iterative process, that you're gonna keep going until you get it right. Failure doesn't become scary. Failure is not an endpoint. Failure is a step along the journey. And so I think since most people have this linear notion of creativity, failure feels deafening. And you know, what's funny is when you start getting addicted to feedback, and I found during the book process it was interesting, sort of meta was, you know, I'd get feedback from all these people who I basically got to volunteer to help read early versions of the book. And what was so interesting was I would talk to them and um, you know they would give me feedback. And you start to get annoyed at the people who don't give you rough feedback because you want the book to be good and you learn that the feedback is what gets it there. Those small failures, those small cuts are what leads to the healing and the scar tissue that gets it tougher, that gets it good. And so ultimately, ultimately, I think this is where mindset comes in again is you have to view your creative process as an iterative process one that's going to have lots of failure and ultimately through that will lead to great success. How can people thicken their skin so that they you can be, do it. Yeah, be more receptive to feedback? You got to just do it and then you got to see the results of the iterative process. I think once you see how good something gets, when you get really rough feedback, you get addicted to it, right? So I think you need to push yourself through that, you know, create some framework for yourself, write yourself a post-it note that says get real feedback. Find those people who care about you so much that they're willing to be honest with you and attach yourself to those people. That's who you want to attach yourself with. 
We had a we had a uh, meeting at our uh, under thirty experiences, and I introduced the concept. I don't know if you've ever heard the uh, phrase uh, "to grin fuck." And oh, yeah, uh, yeah I, I you know, phrase. I really I really asked everyone, please don't grin fuck each other. Don't just <laughs> smile and nod your head uh, at, at the next person because you, you're screwing the person. You know, give honest feedback. And uh, God, I, I think that's. That's so important. And do you ask for that in your company? Do you are you surrounded by people who will, uh, for lack of a better term, just shit on your idea if it's not any good? Um, oh, 100 percent. I mean, I hire for it. Right. I want directness. I want self-awareness and I want directness. I want honesty, because when you mix those things with empathy and real caring, it's incredibly powerful. Interesting. Is there a link between creativity and empathy in the brain? I, I don't know if. I'd have there, to think I mean, about there's, that. There, there's a there's some really interesting studies around personality traits that are linked with empathy that are linked with creativity, and one of the ones that I think is that is such a huge connection is related is openness. Openness is hugely related to creativity and creative success because you need to be open to new ideas, new experiences, new people, new things to ingest. And lucky for us, openness is nurturable. You can get better at openness. You have to practice. There's all these studies that show us, for example that you know, people's subconscious biases or subconscious racism actually goes away, not fully, but starts to get more muted with exposure, right? And so you can expose yourself to diverse, and you were talking about this before with your obviously traveling the world and experiencing more and more diverse experiences. Through that process, I'm sure you've experienced, you become more open to them, right? Um, new experiences aren't as scary. In fact, you start to get comfortable in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Just, uh, yeah, opening up your mind. Uh, you know, I mentioned meditation before or, or going into one of these sensory deprivation tanks. I know that uh, you said in your, your book you don't have to take psych- psychedelics like Steve Jobs, but those are those are things that open up people to, to new experiences and ultimately new ideas, it seems to me. A hundred percent. Alan, this is uh, this has been really fun. You you have a uh, great interview style where you answer the question and you are you are pointed about your answers and uh, it it created a lot of nice back and forth. If somebody's listening, uh, they would think that I had a long maybe they would think that I had a long list of questions, but I, I really I didn't have anything prepared because it's it's uh, on one of my favorite topics, creativity. And uh, this was this was a lot of really good uh, engaging conversation. Thanks, man. It was a lot of fun and uh, talk to you soon. Yeah, Alan, uh, before you go, I do want to to be able to uh, let people go out and pick up your book, The Creative Curve, How to Develop the Right Idea at the Right Time. But if people want to connect with you personally, uh, where's the best place to send them as far as social media or a uh, website goes or both? Alan, A-L-L-E-N dot X-Y-Z. There's social newsletters, blogs, all that good stuff. And the book's website is the creativecurve.com. Alan, sounds good. I appreciate it. Thanks for being on. Bye. It's Matt Wilson coming to you after celebrating the sixth birthday of our incredible travel company, Under 30 Experiences, up there in Austin, Texas. I'm back here in Costa Rica, and I have a resolution for you guys. What we've done with Under 30 that's gone so, so phenomenally well and made 
what looks like an overnight success here that's actually taken tons of hard work and lots of relationship building and tons of heart and effort and passion put into what we do every single day. What we've done best is build community. And I want to build community around the Live Different podcast. I want to design a place where you can come and get support, talk about living the best possible life that you can when it comes to the topics of travel, health, performance, business, all the things that we talk about on the Live Different podcast. And I want to be able to support you guys. And moreover, I want to have the guests be able to participate in that, for you to be able to ask them questions, for you to be able to interact, for you to be part of a group of like-minded people. So what I'm going to ask today is that you send me an email if you were listening to this, matt at under30experiences.com, and we are going to start a super secret Facebook group as well as email list. So if you want in, email me directly and say that, yes, I want to be part of this super secret program. This is free, by the way. This is just a way to build community around what we do at the Live Different Podcast. Please send me an email, madunder30experiences.com. I will respond. I will get back to you. I will add you to this new group and to this email list so you can get insider access to all the people that we have on the show uh, as well as to the community. So thank you guys very much. I really want to bring this to the next level. Looking forward to hearing from you.